0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically based, relationally driven, spirit led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Good morning. Um, in the last service, I was nervous I wouldn't have nearly enough time, and then I had an extra three minutes, so I will introduce myself on this one. Hello, my name is Peter. Um, I don't live in Charlottesville. I live in Asheville, North Carolina, where I teach, and I'm an unordained chaplain at an all-boys boarding school, but I stood up in the first service for the prayer, so I didn't feel I kind of stand up for this one. Um, but I'm back this week, and again in a couple weeks, to continue the series that we're on called The Church on the Mount. And in my mind, at least, the point of this sermon series is to remember the fact that um, the vision, the end goal, the final horizon of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is a church, is a community of people that follow what he's teaching there. So I would like to move swiftly to the part of the Bible, the part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that we're covering today, which is kind of in the front third of Matthew chapter 7. So, if you have a Bible, or as I heard someone recently say, a fantastic memory, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, and if not, it's on the screen, and, and this is what it says. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. There's a book that I love. There's a magical man in the back of this building. His name is Kevin. He's at a computer, and he makes the slides go. And there's this book, the cover, which Kevin, yeah, Kevin, um, called What Are They Hearing? by Mark Allen Powell. I don't remember when I first came across this book, but this guy, Mark Allen Powell, is a seminary professor of some kind who, who did a bunch of like unofficial studies on what people hear when they read the Bible or they hear a sermon. So he took the, the, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 and he gave it to some seminarians in America and Russia and Tanzania. And he would ask them, he'd read the story once and then he'd ask them to sort of write or write out the story or respond to a question. So if you're the type of person that can call to mind the parable of the prodigal son, real fast. Why does he lose? Uh, why why does he end up in a pigsty, starving? Do you recall? Yes, you remember, that's correct. Um, well, if you ask if you ask Americans, we will mostly say because he spent his money recklessly. But if you ask Russians, eighty to one hundred percent of them will say, well, there was a famine in the land. And if you ask Tanzanians, they will almost all say, well, no one gave him anything to eat. All three things Luke actually says in the story, but we think of this boy as this kind of reckless frat star. And the point is that where you come, where you come from can oftentimes color or um, it at least gives you your first draft of what you might hear in, say, a teaching from Jesus. And so the first time I turned to this little passage that we just read to prep to share something about it. What I read, I mean, I read the words, but like what I read is what I imagine many of us read the first time we hear this. Now, I don't mean to be intrusive and invasive and tell you what you think, and I really could be wrong, and I honestly feel a little bad about doing this, but I'm gonna guess, light guess, that for most of us, at least the first time we hear this, this is what we actually hear. Yes, Kevin. We hear a teaching in which Jesus goes, pray, pray, pray to the omnipotent God who can do anything, and he will give you whatever you want, and isn't that great? It goes something like, develop a prayer life where you have confidence that the omnipotent God will give you whatever you asked for. Isn't this wonderful news? My, but the more I kind of lived with it and walked into it, and thought about it, the more this looked like a less and less helpful way of hearing what Jesus is saying. One more reason that I kind of think this is what lots of us hear when we hear this ask, seek, knock passage is because did, your, did, the, did the little voice in your head also say this? You read that passage and you hear, but I've prayed for a lot of things I didn't get, which, I, you know, I, I work with teenage boys, they're very concrete thinkers. And um, uh, nuance is not their forte. And they have a hard time with it. i like, but I've wanted a lot of things, Mr. Hartwig, that I haven't gotten. Well, that's true. It would lead me at least to assume that if you hear this passage and you have that response, what you think you just heard was, well, God will give you what you want if you pray about it enough. And, and I'd like to submit that what Jesus is actually talking about, or closer to what he's actually talking about, is this other chart Jesus doesn't say pray. He says, ask, seek, knock. And he doesn't style God as the omnipotent vending machine in the sky. He calls him the good father who gives not whatever we want, but good things. And then he lands it on, so do unto others, focus on other people. Basically, this is all I'd like to do for the rest of our time together is just kind of walk through this. So ask, seek, knock. I've become a little convinced that this is not a teaching about prayer. Not that it's not about prayer, but it's not, like, about prayer. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, surely asking, seeking, knocking have something to do with prayer. But the the word for ask in Greek is the word that's used of beggars, people who plead. The word seek is, like, it's it's quite active. The word for knock is kruo, which... um, is originally just to hit something. In most Greek literature, it means to punch somebody or to strike them with, say, a sword. And it's also used of vases, because when, you know, um, any of you get married before, like, 1992, where everyone stocked your cupboard with cans and there wasn't, like, see-through plastic food containers, and then your wedding party cut all the labels off the cans so you were having mystery meals for three months. Yes, this was the ancient world. And so they used to knock... On vases to hear if they were full. That's the word that Jesus is using. It's pretty, you do something. I've kind of come to think that this ask, seek, knock thing are not three metaphors for prayer. They're more like, as the book of common prayer says, thought, word, and deed. Jesus is not saying, go pray a lot. It's not about your prayer life. It's about your whole life. Jesus is saying there are decisions to make and relationships to enter. There are ways of forming your life. You're going to set a schedule, and you're going to pick people to associate with. You're going to pick a career. You're going to be part of a community. All of that, all of that. Not just your singular time of prayer. Life is asking God for something. It is looking for his kingdom. It is knocking on God's door. The fullness of what we do is asking, seeking, knocking. And anyway, Jesus already taught on prayer. He taught on the Lord's Prayer. He says nothing about prayer in this passage. Instead, he encourages us to go looking and to look hard. And, and who do we go to? Well, Jesus doesn't style God, to use that phrase, as the omnipotent God. He calls him the good father. Um, in, in my reading, at least, of the Bible, the Bible puts us in an unfortunately realistic place when it comes to divine omnipotence. The technical term for Um, God's all-powerfulness, omnipotence. Uh, The Bible tells us that God can can do anything. There's that lovely passage in the book of Romans where he says he makes things that are not, you know. With the word of his mouth, he creates the world. And yet also, frustratingly, God does not seem to do everything. Do you know what I mean? And again, in the mind of teenage boys, this verse basically means God can get me a girlfriend. I mean, that's what it's pretty much. uh, God can send me, you know, to Harvard. God can, God can do anything. And yet again and again in the Bible, God does not do everything. God is regretful and God laments. God changes God's mind in Exodus. God does all of these. He's not the, he's not the great vending machine in the sky. He's not the engine that runs all the other engines. Theologians have a very difficult time dealing with this fact that practically, realistically, how it feels, the way it looks in our lives and in the Bible. There's so much the omnipotent God does not do. Things do not always go right. And Jesus doesn't seem to hold that big, all-powerful thing in the sky. He, he, put, he styles God. The metaphor he offers for God is the good father. And I know paternity is a complicated concept for a lot of people, and it's here, there, everywhere. But I think Jesus is inviting us to think about like the goodest dad ever and what would he be like well i think we have some intuition that that the best father is not just powerful not just capable but also gentle and thoughtful and discerning and wise and responsible and interesting and better at cooking than just grilling and funny and right there's so much there's so much captured in that image of the good father, God has a character. He's not just a Ford motor engine that can do things. God is a person for Jesus and for us who has these, well, he's got a whole personality. And Jesus invites us not to stand there and go, my desires plus God's omnipotence equals gets what I want. Jesus says, why don't you come to God as though he were like a good father, and ask, and seek, and knock. In my own experience, and also in the long wisdom of the Christian tradition, there's been this belief that asking, seeking, knocking is is important. You might notice that Jesus does not say, you get whatever you want, but that the father gives good gifts. As your son comes asking for bread, you don't give him a rock. And if he asks for fish, You don't give him a snake. But if you came asking for illegal substances, you might not do that. You might not pass it along. After all, a good father would be in some sense wise and responsible. Jesus promises that God gives good gifts. And your mind has perhaps gone where my mind went, which is, oh, I agree with that in theory, but there are also a lot of things I want that even I know are not so good. I have a full roiling cauldron of sinful desires and the more I get to know myself the more I am often slightly appalled at the things I find myself interested in. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't think you ever want to kill your spouse, but if you could choke them out briefly? <laughs> do you know Do you know what I mean? Or like I wanted to go to Princeton as an undergraduate so badly if I had killed if I knew that if I killed somebody and no one would ever find out and I would have gotten in, I probably would have killed them. (laughs) And there are other things that you would also probably kill a man for. And American culture, Western culture broadly, kind of gives you two options. One option is like, shut it down. We call this repression. You just pretend that you do not want this thing. I don't get that away from me like a bowl of chips. (laughs) Don't. And the other option American will give you will be like, no, you are a, you are an individual with rights and freedom. You pick up your desires and you run right over the cliffs of ecstasy onto the rocks of regret. Go right ahead. <laughs> our, our, our culture basically gives us the options of libertinism or repression. And I think the church has often forgotten that there is, you know, a third option. The option Jesus offers here, which is to come to God. Who better to go to than God, when you don't want the things God wants you to want. I don't know if you know this, but God already knows what you want. So if you went to God and you were like, all right, I know it's not all about money, but I want so much money. And if I didn't have a ton of money, I would feel like I had failed. God's not going to be like, is that why you don't tip? Like God, (laughs) God already knows. If you come to God and you're like, I want everyone to love me all the time and to be very charming often, God's not going to be like, but you seem so demure. God knows. (laughs) God knows that you want the things God does not want you to want, so you might as well admit it. And the wisdom of the tradition is that in admitting it in very complicated ways, because it's not just God makes the desires disappear. God is not a repressor either. But when we come to God with our desires, even the things God does not want us to want, we find that the relationship between the goodness of God and the nature of our desires is deeply reworked. You do know Jesus did this at the end of this gospel, at the end of the gospel of Matthew in the 25th chapter, Oh, maybe it's the 26th, anyway, it's the night before Jesus dies and he's alone in this garden and he's got this last moment in prayer and he looks at God and says, I don't want to do this. I take it back. Like I know, I know, I know that I told everybody I was going to die. For I know that I came as a ransom for many. But if there is some way, let this cup pass from me. I mean, your will, not my will, be done. But I don't want, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be stuck in this spot. I don't want to be stuck with these people. I don't want this kind of life anymore. I don't want this. And God receives that. Into God's self, in the wisdom of Christians, the long witness of the tradition, my own experience, is that God has a lot of options for what his presence and his goodness can do. When we come to God with desires, good, bad, and ugly, God invites them all. Because anyway, God's going to have to deal with what you do. I've got a friend um, who's—he used to be in ministry, and he couldn't anymore because he financially couldn't cut it for his family. And he was so good at it, and he loved it so much. And now he's doing this, as he thinks of it, a nine-to-five job that he hates. Hate. And I'm um, honored as, like, too small a word to be one of his friends who he calls, and he just says, like, I hate it. I hate it. I miss being so cool and being in ministry. I mean, God is teaching me things, and it's really hard, but I do hate it. And he's also got this daughter. She's um, at the stage where she can move chairs, And he came in to find her like up on the top of the chair on the counter going for a glass in the cupboard. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just ask me. I will get you a cup. You don't have to do this all by yourself. You can come to me just like he can come to God, just like he can come to his friends and say like, I need this. I don't want this. I don't. God invites us to ask for everything. It's the process by which God starts to close that distance between the goodness of God's gifts and the complicated nature of our desires. And that's why I think, maybe, Jesus sort of ends this teaching with the so-called golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If God really is at work in the process of our asking God, seeking the kingdom, knocking on God's door, If that that both is the avenue by which God provides us the good things we need and the way God gets involved in the awkwardness of our messy desires, then, of course, you would go do to others what you would have them do to you. Because on the one hand, you can focus on other people. God's got your back. He's got a big bag of good gifts, and your name is on it. Just ask for it. If you come to God for what you need, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to make your own life. You, can't, you are free to focus on other people. And if, if the process of asking is involving God and your desires and your desires in God, then hopefully over time in that long and spirit-led process of asking, seeking, knocking, you can be the kind of person who when you do for others what you wish they would do for you, it's good. You know how to give good gifts. You've gotten good gifts. You desire good gifts. There's a whole big bag of them with somebody else's name on it, and, and you can just give those away. We learn, you learn to be the kind of person who can trust God for good gifts and can follow God's model in giving them. And the best news of this, I think, is that we don't do this alone. I've been through phases of um, what you might call spiritual growth, I hope, um, where um, I don't, things got more real. I saw God in a, in a clearer way. God was more involved in my life. God was changing things. And, and I've gone through those seasons in two different situations. One was with a community and one was without it. And I've, I've found that if you follow the way of Jesus without a community, it is lonely. That's probably why all the verbs in this passage are plural. And when I said that in the first service, my dad was like, you know, in English, the nouns are plural. And I said, I know, but in Greek, the verbs are plural. And he said, no one knows Greek. (laughs) So, grammar lesson for the day. In Greek, there are no pronouns. It is not you all seek, you all ask, you all find. It's just "isthetai." I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. The verbs are in the second person plural. You all, y'all. Y'all seek, that's one word in Greek. Y'all ask, y'all seek, y'all find. And you all, it will be given to y'all. Y'all will receive. The door will be open to all of you. All of you who asks, receives, seeks, finds, knocks. The door is open. You do this together. We do this as a community. Because if we do it alone, it's going to be really lonely. Um, so like if one of us knocks, you know, Kai Archer. Give me a knock. Knock, come on. Clap for me. Yeah. Now let's all do it together. One more time. I don't know if you noticed this, but when you knock alone, it's not so loud. When we knock together, we make some noise. I've also left my credit card in the back of one of the seats. So um, would you like to go find my credit card? I think there's 300-some seats in here. So at, like, one seat a second, what does it like, five minutes? But would everyone look in the seat in front of you for my credit card, if everyone just looks real fast? That took way less than three minutes. Look at that. There's not much on there. When you knock alone, it's hard to hear. And when you seek alone, it might take forever. But when we knock... Together, we move something. When we seek together, we find. And when we ask together, we receive together. This is, this is a teaching from Jesus about how to have a shape of life that asks after God and so sees our desires bound up in him somehow, that imagines him as a good father. So we come to him with confidence that receives good gifts from him so that we are sustained And so we learn to give good gifts to other people so we can focus on other people and we don't do it alone. The end goal of what Jesus says here is not you in your own prayer closet with a very intense prayer life, magically getting from the big machine in the sky all the things you want. The end goal is a community of people who are spiritually maturing in a messy but real relationship with a good God who know how to trust him and take care of each other. That is the vision of a church on the mount, a church that asks, that seeks, that knocks. So as the worship team comes forward, why don't we end this service by asking together in prayer that the Lord might do this among us. So if you'd like to stand preemptively, pray with me. Jesus, um, we're here again, trying to hear your voice and your words, and to hear your call, not just for ourselves, but for our community, our communities, and, and the place where we live, this place that we love or are coming to love, and we ask that you would give us whatever encouragement we need to make that first ask, to make the first seeking, the first knocking, so that as we decide about our lives and as we take responsibility for these lives and as we receive the lives that you are giving us in everything we do, we would ask after you. We would look for you. We would knock on the door of your kingdom and you would open it to us. If you make us like that, Lord God, What a wonderful community, what a wonderful church, what a wonderful world it would be. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.